0: I absolutely love it. I love Louis C.K. Does anybody know how difficult it was to find two minutes of his video that wasn't just foul, right? I mean, dude is so foul and so wise. I mean, and it, it might be an indication that something is broken in my life, that this guy who shares really none of my values, none of my theology, none of my beliefs, and yet he's doing a lot better job on the subject of the Internet than I am. That my family, yes, I think my kids could probably identify with a lot with the daughter in that video, if I'm to be honest. And that I know that I'm not alone in the room uh, in, in feeling that way. So that's why we as a church are doing this series called Screen Time, looking at how we put our devices and our online usage and all of our media consumption inside of the proper place of our lives. Last week, Chris kicked off the series and pointed out that never before in human history has technology so infiltrated every aspect, every nook and cranny Of our lives. And as it does, it's changing us. Chris said, changes in technology change us. As we use technologies to reshape our world, they reshape us. Using technology for good or evil changes the person who uses it. Now, Chris is not arguing. I'm not arguing that we should reject technology altogether and just all become Amish as a, I'm bad with horses, honestly. (laughs) So that wouldn't work out. Our point isn't the screens are bad. They can be great. In fact, there's so much that screens and technology allow us to experience that we couldn't have experienced a year ago or five years ago or a generation ago. But there's also so much danger. So how do we build guardrails into our life that allow us to benefit from the good and the beautiful and the creative and not be harmed by the hurtful? That's literally what Louis C.K. did in that clip. He gave his daughter the code so she could lock him out of the Internet, which might be going too far, but maybe not. I have to pause, though, and tell you that I, I feel like Chris is sending some some mixed messages. I mean, I listened to his talk last week about we got to be careful with screen time, and then the very next night he appears on national television <laughs> as a Monday night football commentator. Let's watch, well, just in stupid. case any of you missed it. That's not him, but that is, and if there's any question about whether he's commentating, I think we know exactly how he felt about that call. So the truth is we all use guardrails in our life all the time. You pass dozens of them on the way in this morning. And the point of a guardrail is to protect you so that if you crash, you don't crash headlong into someone else in traffic. You crash into a guardrail. And it protects you. And there may be some, some cosmetic damage that happens, but there's no loss of life. It protects you from the much higher consequences when we come up against them. And guardrails are everywhere, except maybe South Dakota. <laughs> in, in August, my family did a trip out to South Dakota, and we had never been. And it was just an absolute blast. We had never seen anything like it. I had no idea that it was as beautiful as it is. And on the way there, we stopped in a place called the Badlands. Anyone been there? It's wonderful, but for a parent, especially of a kid like this one, I was terrified most of the time because there's basically no guardrails anywhere. Okay, we found one guardrail on one stairway, and this is what Ben decided to do. (laughs) (laughs) What a ham. But basically, there's no guardrails. I mean, the kids absolutely loved it because you could just walk up to a mountain and climb it. You could just walk up to the edge of a cliff and jump right off if you wanted to. It's the Wild West. If you want to walk right up to a buffalo and risk getting killed, go for it. If you want to drive through bear country and leave your windows down while eating a burrito, you totally can. (laughs) Anybody ever driven the Needles Highway before? It's absolutely gorgeous. Again, I had no idea. I literally, the night before the trip, I'm Googling, like, what to do in South Dakota because I had no idea. This place is interesting. We're driving this beautiful, basically, it's this winding road up one side of a mountain, and then you go through this tunnel in the rock that is just the width of the car, and then you come winding down the other side of the mountain. But the whole way up and the whole way down, you're doing these switchbacks, and there's really no substantial guardrails on any of it. At any point, you can just go right over the edge and fall down a cliff. It's beautiful and gorgeous, but it's also treacherous and one wrong turn, one distracted moment in a beautiful, amazing drive could turn tragic. And I think a lot of ways technology and screens are like that. They're amazing tools and gifts, but the choices that we make can lead to good and beauty or they can lead to tragedy. Again, Chris last week said guardrails become increasingly important as the probability of a misstep and the significance of the consequences increase. So today we want to look at the question of how do we put guardrails very specifically around the content that we consume as followers of Christ. But that's kind of a sticky subject, frankly, to get into. It's a little bit uncouth. Uh, I mean, the truth is all of us probably in this room have slightly different standards about what's appropriate and what's not for our families. And it's really difficult uh, to not kind of sound like you're either coming off really judgmental and like up on your high horse and you've got this all right, or like you're just super lax in any thing goes. I mean, I wonder, is it even okay, for instance, that we as Christians do have such radically different views? But we do. Every household does. Which parent in here, Who is a parent has never had the conversation that went something like, hey, dad, can I watch so, such and such a show? Hey, dad, can I download such and such an app? Dad, can I play such and such a video game or go to such and such a website? And invariably, if you say no, you're about to hear, you're guaranteed to hear what? but so-and-so's dad says he can, right? And so you explain carefully and generally that's because they don't love their kids. (laughs) But seriously, I mean, what do you do with that? Is so-and-so's dad a bad parent? Are our family's guardrails the only ones? Is it okay that we have radically different ones? So what we've set out to do is basically define a target and say, okay, we're not going to agree on a list of what are the bad sites and the good sites and the, and the, the good movies and the bad movies exactly where the limits are, but we want to have a target that we can aim for. And so we established this target. We said, we want to craft lives that are happy, healthy, and God honoring in our behaviors, in our lifestyle and in our consumption. Maybe that's too simplistic, we thought it's, a, it's maybe a starting point that we can all agree on. We all want lives that are happy, healthy, and God-honoring. But what does that look like in regard to what movies and what TV shows we watch, what video games we play, what websites we visit, what apps we use? And sometimes it's easy. There are things that are just black and white, cut and dry, stuff that we'd probably all agree is just evil, and no one should watch it. You know, Puppysquishing.com is not cool. <laughs> you know, we all agree on that. But that's not most things. There are far more gray areas than black and white. So how do we work our way through that? I mean, how much swearing is too much when you're watching a movie? Especially if you have kids with you. But then if you don't have kids with you, is it, is it okay for adults to watch that? How about violence? Is violence okay if it's not too gory? Or if, like, there's a really good point to the story? Like, yeah, it was super violent, but it was a true story. Super violent, but there's a great moral to the story. Is that Okay. How about sex scenes? How many is too many? How much nudity is too much? What if, a, a love, what if there's a love scene, but there's no actual nudity? I had a conversation uh, the other day with somebody who literally said, well, yeah, there was nudity, but we just saw, like, their butt and their back. I'm like, oh, then it's, <laughs> then it's okay. <laughs> but, but how much is too much? Is nudity okay? Uh, is nudity okay when you're watching, for instance, with your spouse? At what point might that become pornography? How do we even define Pornography. The Supreme Court Justice uh, Potter Stewart was asked back in 1964 to define how a piece, when a piece transfers over from being art to being pornography. And he famously said he couldn't define it, but I know it when I see it. Probably all of us know that pornography is now sort of everywhere. But I was surprised this week to find out in my research to find out that our, our cultural views about pornography have changed significantly over the past couple of decades. Radically changed from, from what's okay and, and, and what's bad and, and even what's really beneficial to society in, in the public's view. Barna did a study that they released in 2016 called the Porn Phenomenon. And they basically reported that pornography usage has become much less taboo among Americans. Their study group was uh, aged 13 through 70 plus. And they asked them a lot of questions, but the first five they asked them were to describe the effect of pornography on society into one of five categories it is very bad for our society, it is somewhat bad for our society, it is neither good nor bad, it is somewhat good for our society. And it's very good for our society. Now note, this isn't saying, is it right or wrong? Is it biblical or not biblical? It's asking, is it good for us as a society? And the results that came back were very surprising, at least in part. The group that was 70 plus felt strongly, almost 60%, that's the top top row there, that porn was very bad. And another 22% said that it was somewhat bad. And so that's 80 Some percent of of them said that it was bad or or very bad. But look at the the group of 18 to 24. Only 14% thought it was very bad. Almost 50% said it was neither good nor bad. And 15% said the pornography was either good or very good for society. Citing that it had helped their sex lives or had given them tips and tricks. Children. The report said young Americans do not think pornography is a negative thing. When they speak about pornography with friends, 90% of teens age 13 through 17 and 96% of young adults say that they do so in neutral accepting or encouraging ways. Only one in 20 adults and one in 10 teens say their friends think that viewing pornography is a bad thing. This is where it'd be really easy for me to come off sounding like I'm kind of a prude. But that's a significant cultural shift. We have to at least acknowledge. This next statistic would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. Young people view not recycling as more immoral than viewing pornography. 32% said viewing porn is usually or always wrong compared to the 56% who say that recycling, not recycling is usually or always wrong. It was also apparent that this was not something that was Inside and outside the church, people within the church are using pornography at a lot of the same rates that the culture around us are using it. And it's not just men. They said an increasing number of women are using it on a regular basis. It'd be easy for any of us to kind of cash out and check out and go, oh, that doesn't really affect me. But the truth is, it affects everyone in this room. They said despite the awareness of the problem, most churches do not have programs specifically designed to assist those struggling with porn use. Like I said, before you kind of drift off because this doesn't apply to you, the truth is the same kind of normalization, the same sort of shift that we're seeing in our views towards pornography, we are making across the spectrum on all the different areas of media in our lives. Things that we used to see as unhealthy are now seen as normal. We see it in unhealthy relationships all the time in TV and, and, and movies and, and online. These, these people that are just treating each other horribly We have these terribly dysfunctional, uh, you know, very dysfunctional relationships. And not only is that not normal now for us, we're entertained by it. Here's an example. And anytime you use an example, you run the risk of somebody disagreeing, being offended. Please don't. But a couple of months ago, my wife and I tried to watch the movie, um, what is it? Daddy's Home with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, I think with the yes, okay. The, the basic premise of this movie is Will Ferrell is this new stepdad. And he's trying desperately to win the affection of his kids and to, of, of these stepkids. And he's trying to get them to like him and he, he's doing all the right things. But the real father, the birth father keeps coming back and he's cooler and he's drives a motorcycle and he's Marky Mark and, you know, he's all muscular and all these different things. And he keeps sabotaging the stepfather who's trying desperately to weave this family together. I mean, he should be the good guy in the story, but he's the joke. And so I watched this movie and, and I, you know, I've, I've seen so, I've walked with so many families through family breakups in real life, having walked alongside of my own family members. So when this movie was playing, I just sat there and I thought, I don't, I don't see the funny. I just see the broken. I see the pain that's represented in these stories and in these relationships i 've walked along so many people that have walked through this. I know how painful b- divorce can be for everybody and how brutal step parenting can be it 's so hard that 's not entertainment, but I must be wrong because it grows to one hundred and fifty million, and the sequel's coming out in a couple weeks. Sitcoms and TV shows are almost all based ultimately on people having super broken relationships. I mean, I think most of the shows that we watch are basically soap opera drama, even if it 's on. In prime time, is these dysfunctional relationships of spouses sleeping around and, and the kids, you know, hating the parents and fighting the parents and rebelling. And apparently our lives don't have enough emotional drama or relational pain <laughs> because we watch it at night, fake versions of it. What about violence? I mean, watching movies and TV shows where people are being violently killed and hacked up and kidnapped and sexually assaulted and all these horrible things. My eight-year-old Ben has not gone to bed by himself in like two weeks because he's terrified every night of red balloons and clowns. And the truth is, he's never even seen those images. He doesn't even know the reference except all the other third graders at school are talking about this movie. And he's terrified. I mean, how is it that a bunch of eight-year-olds have seen this or even know this or know these images? How is it that they are talking about it every day? And how is it that these things, that if they happened in real life, if they happened to someone in our family, they would be tragic. They'd be mortifying. They'd be horrifying. But somehow we've normalized it to the point that it's not just normal. It's a box office hit. We're entertained to watch it. How about video games? This has actually been one of the most difficult areas for us in our family to navigate. Um, our first grader, again, Ben, but it's true for, for Ian as well, You know, right away in first grade, when he came home, he wanted to play Grand Theft Auto, right? Because all the boys at school were talking about this game, Grand Theft Auto. And if anyone's not heard of it, basically the video game, you drive around and get points for committing crimes like killing cops and prostitutes and stealing and breaking things. And all the kids at school were talking about it. And so you just say, no, right? That's easy. No, you're not going to do that. But here's the thing. We want our kids to have friends. sometimes (laughs) sometimes <laughs> any, any friends, right? We want them to be hanging out with friends. We want them to be interacting with kids that have different values than us truly. Um, but often if they go to friends houses, the violent video games, the, the first person shooters. And, and I don't want to, I mean, I said this in the first service, you know, I said, we are never going to be a house that has any video games, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, we, I said, okay, we can get a Wii because with the Wii, you actually play tennis and it's exercise. And I realized oh, you can totally sit on your butt and play Wii as well. And, And I said, okay, well, we'll get, we'll get Xbox, but we're never going to be shooting games. And then we got star Wars battle battlefront. Battlefront? Yeah. And it's awesome. Uh, And it's totally, (laughs) totally a shooting game, but um, wow, I'm off track there, but the violent video games that are so graphic are the things that my kids want to play and that their friends want to play when they go over. And so we said to Ian and Ben, you're not allowed to play those games at our house or anyone else's house. And the problem is that puts them in a horrible spot. I mean, it, it, significantly eliminates many of the kids and many of the parties and many of the sleepovers and many of the hangouts because they can't engage. And yet I'm confident the answer is not just to let our games play Our kids play a game where you score points by killing police officers, having sex, looting stores and killing hookers. again. If that was real life, we'd be mortified. That would be national news. But in our homes, it's a child's game. Do you see the disconnect? How is that entertainment? Chris made the argument last week that we're changed by the technology we use. If that's true, I think we have to ask the question, how are these sorts of games and movies and apps and all these different things, how are they changing us? How are they changing our cultural views? How are they changing our kids? As a side note, this one might get me in trouble. I remember as a a kid, my dad, I desperately wanted to have a toy gun. And so my dad made me one. Um, We're poor. uh, So he made me one out of wood. But he also said, this is a shotgun. This is for hunting. This is never to be pointed at people." And he gave it to me and I said, that's great, dad. But what I really want is an M 16 cause Rambo, <laughs> right? That's my childhood. And, and he said, and I, I remember it so clearly. He basically said, M 16 is not a toy. They are serious weapons used by serious soldiers to defend and fight. And they're designed to be lethal and have no hunting application. They're designed for killing people, and that's never a game. My dad was not a hippie. He's not here today, but he usually is. You can verify he's normal. He he wasn't a pacifist. He isn't anti-gun. He has lots of guns. He spent the weekend last week in putting up his deer stand. He simply stepped back and asked himself, would I ever give my child a toy electric chair, a toy killing instrument? Then why would I give him a toy machine gun? I'm not trying to get on either side of, like, gun rights or any of those sorts of things. My point is he thought critically about this issue and decided where there was a boundary. And I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I appreciate it now. And it shaped my view now on some of these issues, and for that I'm grateful. My point of bringing up that story at all, though, is because we already do this in our lives in other areas, around fitness, around health and exercise and all these different things, and particularly around food. We have lots of boundaries around food. As parents, we know that we want to have our kids eating good, super nutrient foods. And we want to avoid things like too much sugar and, and uh, corn syrup. I'm a bad parent. Uh, <laughs> high fructose corn syrup. And we don't want any trans fats in our food, right? I mean, who is a parent would serve... You know, their kids' food, if the label said something like, now enriched with vitamins and minerals and calcium and only 10% rat poison. (laughs) 5%. There's no percent. That's okay to serve our kids rat poison. So if we do that with food that we eat and we let our kids eat, why don't we apply that same diligence to what we watch, what we bring into our homes? How much garbage are you okay with your kids ingesting? And are the shows and the movies and the apps that we use and that our kids use nutrient-rich? Are they full of preservatives and garbage and maybe some toxic poison? This is where the lines blur. I mean, like I said, we don't want to make some sort of list. Our goal is happy, healthy, God-honoring. So we don't want to make a list of the sites you can't play. I'm not saying, maybe I'm saying you can't play Grand Theft Auto. (laughs) Um, my point isn't to make that list. My point is to say, we need to wrestle through these questions and become critical consumers who are informed at what we are ingesting and what our families are ingesting. We need to think biblically and theologically. We need to think what is honoring to God and good for us. It's a lot like what the apostle Paul was talking about in first Corinthians six. And if you don't have a Bible today, we'd love to give you one. We've got them here as a gift to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and they were wrestling through some of these same issues, not screen issues, but morality issues. What can we eat? What can we drink? Can we go to the temple or not go to the temple? What is appropriate and what's not? How do we make that list? And to that, some of the Christians are saying, well, anything is permissible to us. We are forgiven. We can do whatever we want. Grace, grace, grace. And some are saying, well, no, those things are evil, and you can't do any of them, and you must be... And to that, Paul says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And then he repeats that same idea again in chapter 10. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Paul was not eager to make a list of here's what you can and here's what you can't. What he's saying is be happy, be healthy, and be God-honoring in the decisions and the choices that you make. And that's the same call that we have about the content that's out there. And maybe we're not prohibited from it, but you have to ask the question, is it good for you? Is it beneficial to you? Does it contribute to health and happiness? And is it honoring to God? And maybe sometimes we have to stand up and say no. You might remember these ads uh, that aired a couple years ago during the Super Bowl. Let's watch. Boys will be boys. Well, she was drunk. Well, he he was drunk. She was asking for it. He warned her. Not my problem. Why doesn't she just leave? But he's such a nice guy. He said he was sorry. We don't talk about that. It's just the way people are. We're never going to fix it. No more excuses. (coughs) No more silence. No more violence. It's time to end domestic violence and sexual assault once and for all. A bunch of these aired a couple of years ago, and I've not seen much of them since. But at the time, they made a big stir because these are celebrities and athletes and prominent people who are using their voices to raise awareness and to say no more. But it's worth noting that their audience was not primarily to the abusers; it was to everyone else. It was to the people that, that explained these things away and excused these things away. It's to the rest of us who found ways of normalizing and explaining it, even being entertained by it. are celebrities, most of whom probably don't share a lot of my beliefs, a lot of my values. But they're using their fame and their platform to say, this behavior is unacceptable. But so are the excuses that we make for not confronting that behavior. No more ignoring the problem. No more justifying the problem. We must stand up and say, no more. And I wonder if it's not time for us as the church to stand up and say to one another, no more on some of these issues. No more to rampant violence in our movies and video games. No more to contributing to human trafficking by using pornography. It's not okay for us. It's not okay to be entertained by someone else's pain and at someone else's expense. It's not okay to allow our kids to abuse others on social media by bullying. It's not okay. Not as followers of Christ. And this isn't about shouting to Hollywood. This isn't about us trying to legislate our values or say, you should make, stop making bad movies. No, we should stop watching them. This is about us standing up to one another and holding each other to a higher account and saying no more. And that stand needs to start in our homes, in our families, in our viewing Patterns. We have to become more informed, more discerning, more intentional, more critical consumers of media. We can't just be content to let our kids be quiet in front of an endless stream of Netflix. Confident that when that show ends, the next one will autoplay forever and ever. I know I'm not the only parent in the room that's done that. We as a consuming public have created the monster by buying it. By watching it, we voted with our dollars and with our eyes. And we can continue to feed that monster, or we can starve it. I read a quote this week in, in Christianity Today. Someone once told me that there are two dogs in my heart's backyard. One dog always craves pleasure, sin, and selfishness. The other dog craves justice, mercy, peace, and obedience to God. When I wake up every day, I choose which dog gets fed the one I feed grows until the other dog can't even be seen. How do we make sure that we're feeding the right dog? I think part of it is is sensitivity. A couple of years ago, I was diagnosed, now several years ago, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure, just genetic. It runs in the family. Um, but there were some things that I could do about it. I needed to exercise more, which I chose not to. <laughs> but I could also remove salt from my diet because I was contributing significantly to my health. And the truth is, as you probably know, it's in a lot of our food, especially processed food. So I had to reduce that. It meant I couldn't eat fast food. I couldn't eat pizza. I couldn't eat these things that I absolutely loved. And it was hard at first. But over time, I found ways to to not even notice. And and eventually, I I didn't even notice. I was tasting things I'd never tasted before. So that when I reintroduced those foods months later, and I had pizza, or I had a hamburger at McDonald's, it tasted so, so salty, almost painfully salty. Because my mouth, my, my body had been resensitized to this thing that I had just so grown so accustomed to that was killing me, literally, that I didn't even notice it. I needed to be resensitized. And I think we need to be resensitized to that same way to our media lives. There's so much that we've just gotten used to that we don't even notice it anymore, even though it's killing us spiritually. We need to be resensitized so that when we're watching those kinds of shows and movies and apps, and when those things pop up, those images and those commercials, we are shocked and saddened and not entertained. That when we see violence, our heart breaks with God's heart, the author and the creator of life. When we see pornography, we don't see objects for our pleasure. We see someone's son and someone's daughter. We see a child of God who is loved by God and our heart breaks for them and for the systems that enslave them. When we see infidelity and unfaithfulness and unhealthy sex in shows and movies, we war- we mourn for the broken marriages, the state of family and for the kids who will grow up with that as their new normal. We cannot, we must not normalize that. This is not entertainment. And this isn't about judging the culture around us. I've said that so many times. I want to, I, this is about us holding ourselves to a higher standard so that by our lives, by our exemplary lives and relationships, we can demonstrate to the world what it looks like when you live for the king. When you live in relationships that are healthy and happy and God-honoring. So quickly, and I know I'm going long, I want to just give you some really practical ways that, that I'm exploring, that Chris is exploring, that my family is exploring ways that we're trying to figure this out. So the first, and this is a fill in on your card is we have to find ways to starve the bad dog. And maybe it's time to take a fast from media. And I don't know what that means. It probably starts after the Vikings game today, (laughs) but, but maybe it means putting your phone away. Maybe it means airplane mode. Maybe it means putting the TV in the garage for a week or forever. Maybe, I don't know. But the only way that we're going to even be sensitive to these things is if we somehow cleanse our palate and resensitize ourselves to these messages. Read Pride and Prejudice. It's good, according to Louis C.K. <laughs> and secondly, feed the good dog. Eat nutrient-rich food and watch nutrient-rich content. No fillers. Don't just sit endlessly scrolling through social media. It's proven that it makes you less happy. But they, you, know, you know what? There's no end to that newsfeed. You can just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And our video is all autoplay on YouTube. You could be trapped forever. No fillers, no trans fats. Gratuitous violence and sex and raunchy humor is so fun and so delicious. And so not good for you or me. And then no poison. There's stuff that's out there that's just clearly out of line. That we as followers of Christ and just as humans have no business engaging in. It's toxic and it's not God-honoring. Thirdly, know what you're eating. Be critical, informed, discerning consumers of content. And I know that there's so much out there and there's only so much time in the day, but as parents, as consumers, as people who live in this culture, we now have to be informed on what the movies are that our kids are seeing and being invited to, what the video games are that our kids are playing. It means sometimes that I have to literally go downstairs. And this sounds like I am i don't love video games. I get a little motion sickness. (laughs) But I play with my son so that I know what he's playing. And I know the games and I've researched the games that he's being invited to play. And there's other great resources out there, commonsensemedia.org. It's listed in your insert. It's a great tool. I use it literally this weekend uh, to go through. And it gives you a summary of what this movie is or this app is or this whatever. And you get a sense of what's in it and then what other parents are saying about it. Another one that's in there too is plugged in. Another one is just, you know, being aware of the MPAA, uh, Motion Picture Association of America, ratings. But realize that they are not the only tool. I so often talk to parents who say, well, what's it rated? Is it rated PG-13? Like, it doesn't matter. Is it garbage? (laughs) You know, uh, The Passion of the Christ is rated R, and American Pie (laughs) is rated R. But those are two very, very different movies. It can be a helpful guide, but it can't be our only guide there are other resources that we've included in there. In fact, there's a yellow sheet that's in there on the back of which we've included some other resources, including one mother's uh, well-published, well-publicized uh, approach to the phone. And it's important to point out that this is not a Christian woman as far as I know. This isn't some crazy conservative. Um, this is just a mom who really loves her, her kid. The last thing that I have in my notes is you know, get support. And I, I shared from the Barna study that While most churches know this is happening, there's not a whole lot they're doing about it. There aren't programs that they have around pornography or any of of these sorts of issues. Know that um, we're aware of that. Uh, We're starting a a men's group actually here in October that's going to specifically talk about these issues in ways that are safe and yet bring it out into the public where we can talk about it as men. Uh, Maybe we'll do similar groups for women um, we want to start talking about these things more with our students so that in youth group, they're talking about this. We're, we're, not, we're not leaving these things in the closet. We're bringing them out and talking about them and how we live lives throughout our lives that are happy, healthy, and God-honoring. The other thing I'll say is this. Whatever we can do as a community to, to not push each other towards greater and greater sin, greater and greater acceptance, greater and greater tolerance. Do me a favor and don't let your kids see it so they don't invite my kid to see it. And if we all do that, we'll have a lot better chance of creating that sort of culture within our families. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening. Jesus Christ, this this sort of subject is uncomfortable. And, uh, We've desperately tried to seek what you would say and what you would call us as a community too. And we want to do that in a way that is honoring to you, not from a place of pride or feeling like we're better than anybody. God, we praise you that you've accepted us as broken people who are just as prone to doing broken things as anybody else. But that, God, you've given us a freedom from that sin. We are not in bondage to that sin beyond what we allow ourselves and invite back into our lives. So, God, give us the courage, give us the strength, Holy Spirit, and power so that we might live lives that are exemplary for our friends and our schoolmates and our roommates and our neighbors to see. For your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.